God at war. In some ways, uh, this, I owe all of this class to him, and, and I'll explain why. All right, you've got one. If you'd hold it up, please, just let him see what it looks like. Looks really big, thick, and scary. But the last third of the book, it is not. I'm going to pass around if they want to get blood. Uh, oh, I thought it was an attendance sheet. Good to, good to get that sorted out. This is if you want to give blood, which is not required to be in the class. You know, um, the, uh, anyway. Uh, the last third of that book are notes, and the notes themselves are, are quite fascinating, but you don't need to read them. If you look at that book and you're going, ooh, that's too big, there is a shorter, simpler version called God of the Possible that you could look up. I owe Gregory Boyd quite a bit. He and I don't agree on everything. I'm not following him slavelessly or, or, or mindlessly. For example, he's a pacifist. I am not, and we could, do, we could play that game. But he opened up for me a way to believe in God again when there were too many times I had asked God to come and he had waited too long. You understand what I mean after the sermon? And too many things I had seen go badly and wondering where is God. So we're going to start talking about this. You're going to need your Bibles because we're going to do some PowerPoint through this but not today uh, and not often. I ask you uh, to either make notes on your phone or on a piece of paper so that you can go back and think of these things. We're going to start with Daniel. Now, next week, we look at Daniel. Uh, the first six chapters of Daniel are historical. The last six are prophetic. So uh, if you have trouble with the last six chapters, just take comfort in that we'll be spending most of our time next week in the first six chapters in the sermon. Daniel was terribly concerned, and really that's not strong enough of a word. He was distraught. Let me set the stage. Remember that Daniel was taken as a young man and was castrated, made a eunuch. Why? Because he was a member of the royal family, and that's what they did. Whenever somebody took over, they would grab the royal family and make them slaves and servants to prove they were in charge. They took the young boys and they castrated them. The young girls, by the way, uh, would have been sold into slavery or married off. Very much like what is happening today. As Daniel, without anesthetic and without antibiotics, survived, he would not compromise his principles, even though God didn't seem to be anywhere in his life at that stage. He kept his principles he stayed alive and eventually rose up to be such a respected individual that Nebuchadnezzar used him as an advisor. That was not terribly uncommon to use royal family eunuchs as advisors, but Daniel rose up very high there. Daniel, however, knew he was a displaced man. He was a believer in Jehovah when he didn't know of any other believers around him. There's no reason to, to believe that Daniel ever knew about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, he, they were in a different place. By the way, you're thinking, well, he wrote the book. We don't know who wrote the book of Daniel. We know it was collected. Um, Dan, never, anyway, moving on. The, um, and there are a whole lot of Daniel stories that weren't collected that are still out there, by the way. He's almost like their Superman. They tell stories, or Paul Bunyan. They, they love Daniel stories. Uh, I believe the ones in Scripture are true. I'm not so sure if some of the other ones have read uh, anyway, Daniel finds a book of Jeremiah. 
he reads it and he realizes in it, it says, God promises redemption to the people after 70 years if they repent. And he goes and consults the calendar and sees they're coming up close to 70 years and there is zero sign that the people have repented, which would indicate Ezekiel's sermons went nowhere. Think of this. Ezekiel had to die while still believing the impossible. So Daniel went to God to beg for the restoration of God's people. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 10. It is an amazing scene. He fasts and he prays for 20 days and no answer from God. Nothing. Only silence. Then Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 12, we're just going to look up... um, Well, hang on, just to set the scene. If you look back in verse 2, he mourns for three weeks, ate no food, meat or wine, used no lotions. And by the way, if you're wondering, well, what's the point of that? You live in an incredibly hot, dry environment with harsh desert wind. Lotion's what kept you alive, kept you from cracking and infecting and such. He had nothing. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, Verse 5, I looked up and there before me was a man. Now you read the description of the man and we say this is an angel. Yeah. The word man is not man in scripture. In the original, well, the, the oldest copies we have, the word is a watcher. Now let the chills hit you. There are some angels known in scripture as the watchers. Do you remember the ones who brought down judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham asked what's going on? He says, we've heard, we're going to go see. We're going to go see if what we've heard is true. Now let that gel around in your head for a little bit. Here's this man. I was the only one who saw the vision, verse 7. The terror hit the others. They didn't know what was going on, but they fled. He was left alone. Verse, um, Daniel goes deathly pale. This is a guy not afraid of lions, not afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, not afraid of anything, and he's going pale in the sight of this man. Verse 9, I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. We would say he fainted. It just knocked him out. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, Wow, stop right there. Wouldn't you love to hear that from God? Listen, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. I have now been sent to you. How long was Daniel praying? This works better if you answer. 20 days, three weeks with nothing. I do have to ask a question. What do you think would have happened if he'd stopped on day 18? Or the, what would have happened um, if the inventor of 7-Up had stopped at 6-Up? You know, what, what, uh, how far do you go? How far do you go? When do you stop praying? When do you stop believing in the impossible? I know the answer is we don't, but we do, don't we? After a while, we get weary. Listen to what he says. 
Verse 12, do not be afraid, Daniel. You might want to underline this in your brain, if not in your Bibles. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. That doesn't mean 21 days. That means all the way back when he was 10 or 12 years old and captured. All of this time, God's been waiting for the right time to move. But look what has delayed God. I did say that, delayed God. Verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So this last period of time, he wasn't able to get there. Then Michael, one of the chief priests and princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And then as he talks to them, by the way, he looks over and there's another one looking, there's another watcher there protecting this conversation. And this angel has just said, I couldn't get here when you started praying because I was fighting a demon, a prince of Persia. And I couldn't have gotten here now except that Michael came to take over the fight so I could get to you. And I don't have much time here because I got to get back to that war. Now, what does that do to your worldview? It ought to rattle it because we have this, and I, I do not mean to insult anybody, I'm a person who's experienced great pain. Several of you have. You've had your own share of pain. Let us not throw our pain on the table and decide whose is the biggest. There have been lost babies. There's been living with pain. There's been depression. There's been lost jobs. There's been families turned against you. There's been war and losses that way. Whatever your pain is. And then somebody will walk up to you and say, listen, it's all just part of God's wonderful plan. God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And Job calls those kind of people miserable comforters. Because, yes, God is always good, but what's your point? Yes, God has a plan, but does God always get what God wants? Now think about this. Because the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. Does God always get what he wants? Here, we're getting a little curtain of our space-time reality pulled back. Like Elisha's servant, we're allowed to see chariots of fire. Do you remember that story? They wake up. The king of the Arameans has been trying to kill the king of the Jews, uh, the Israelites. But um, every time he plots, Elisha tells the king. He gets a prophetic word. And he tells the king, they're going to try to get you here. And so finally, the king of the Arameans just goes absolutely bonkers, angry. And he says, why do they always know what I'm going to do? And his, his priests say, well, they've got a prophet that tells them. He says, well, let's kill the prophet, which doesn't make a lot of sense, because if the prophet always knows what you're doing, it's hard to sneak up on a prophet. But the next morning, Elisha and his servant are in, in their home. Servant gets up, starts preparing things, looks out through the window, and they're surrounded by the army of the Arameans. He runs back to Elisha, and he says, we are surrounded by the army of the Arameans, because they were. And he was terrified. And Elisha says, just prays, and says, God, show him what's really out there. So the servant goes and looks, and surrounding the army that is surrounding them are chariots of fire. By the way, George Lucas read that story when he was a boy and he incorporated what happens next into the first Star Wars movie. 
Because Elisha goes out and, and says, this is not the prophet you're looking for. Let me take you to them. And he walks him all the way into Jerusalem, all the way saying, this isn't, you know, this is this city. This is, they were completely blinded. These are not the droids you're looking for. It was, in, see, read your Bible. You could become a wealthy director. It, it was all put into there and it comes out of this. This is a death of our simplistic cosmology that says you pray and a big shiny God hears you. Jesus shows up holding a lamb and he answers your prayer. And yes, I'm being absurd, but I'm sorry. I've, been, I've heard a lot of absurd things. I've heard an awful lot of absurd things at the death of a child when somebody comes up and, and with all the best intentions in the world, tries to comfort the parents by saying perhaps God needed another angel. So God's killing babies now to make more angels? What are you saying? It's all part of God's plan. The Calvinist, if you are truly Calvinist, or today they don't normally refer to themselves as Calvinists, they call themselves Reformed Theology. Like John Piper. Many of you have read John Piper books. Believe that every single thing ever, 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 ever going to happen, God planned it exactly that way. So would you explain to me then Dachau, Auschwitz. If, God, if that is part of God's wonderful plan, and you might think they would shy away from that, but John Piper does not. The day after the Newtown, Connecticut shootings of those little babies in the school, so many babies killed. He was already booked on a radio interview program and the person knowing he was a Calvinist and what his writing said, was that part of God's plan? Did God choose which child got shot and which one survived? And he said, yes. I can't follow that kind of God because he doesn't look like Jesus. I want to know what does the Bible say? This was at a critical point in my Christian journey. I needed to know this kind of stuff. The number one question I get via email is why aren't my prayers answered followed by why do bad things happen? And both of them is what we're going to talk about this summer. We're going to get our heads around it. A lot of people become atheists because the simplistic cosmology they were taught doesn't work. Like a God is a cosmic vending machine. Put in three prayers, get out one healing. Doesn't work that way, does it? By the way, does it, you don't have to nod or anything in case they're around. But does it ever annoy you when somebody acts like God always hears their prayers, always talking to them and always doing miracles for them? And I'm thinking, why you? What's so special about you? I, I put up with it with one friend and he is a friend. He's a good friend. He knows I use him in stories. He uses me in stories that I just, I led, I, he would even, if we found, if we went visiting in the hospital as he pulled in the parking place, he would say, oh, thank God, he gave, he gave us a great parking place. And I'm going, it's a matter of population draw and parking spot allocations. And, oh, let it go. And I, and I really tried not to say anything until months after this was all going on, he drove up and I said, oh, that's a lovely new car, because it was, it was a lovely new car, I like cars, that was a good car. And he said, yes, yes, God led me to buy it. I said, all right, we're going to stop here. I said, do you happen to like that model of car? And he said, yes. And I said, 
dodged a bullet there, didn't you, son? Because what if God had, had led you to buy a clapped-out Yugo or, or, a, or a Pinto that was already on fire? You know, God, God didn't test your faith there, did he? So we had a long talk that day. And he still believes what he believes. He just doesn't tell me. But the true nature of the universe is revealed in Daniel in part by this sneak peek behind the curtain. Here are the, here's, the, here's the reality. There is a war going on. Good angels are fighting for us. Bad angels and their forces are fighting against us. And not everything that happens is because God willed it. Sometimes what happens is because we're in a war. And sometimes the angels can't get to us because they're distracted and working, trying to, but there are forces against us. As I taught my kids growing up, it's a wonderful universe, but remember, not everything out there likes us. Be prepared. Have you ever wondered about evil forces? Have you ever wondered about why some of your prayers seem to be ignored? Have you ever considered that there might be a prince over, an evil prince in the heavenly realms over a country or a town or a street? The Bible teaches them as being territorial. They take places. The Catholic Church, and if you're Catholic, we're not knocking a Catholic Church. We, we love them, we love you. But the Catholics teach that the devil cannot possess a thing. He can only possess people. Perhaps it's, we, we might be just passing each other in the semantic hallway here, but in the Bible, the devil claims territories, and he fights to keep that territory. There are some places that since it seems the dawn of time have never been at peace. Have you ever wondered why? When God gave them everything, I think of Golda Meir. Do you remember Golda Meir? First prime minister of, I think first prime minister of Israel, wasn't she? Yes. Um, she said, you had to wonder why God would lead Moses 40 years across the wilderness to the only place in the Middle East without oil. <laughs> and I've thought of that a lot. And I'm thinking, well, he gave so much. Look at the riches he gave to people who don't even acknowledge him. It's not like they didn't have riches. They could have fed the poor with it, but they bought Cadillacs and Rolls Royces. And, but he gave them opportunities. By the way, we do the same thing. We waste our money. A baby is born healthy or ill, and we wonder why. A group of people accept or reject the gospel, we wonder why. What, a lot of things that face us are biology and time. I had a lady once tell me the devil was attacking her, and I said, why? And she said, you know, I'm praying to God, but my water heater broke, my, uh, my roof is leaking. And I said, it could be the devil. I'm not, I don't discount this. I know enough about evil in the universe to deal with that. But I have a question. How old were they? And they were both over 20 years old. And I said, that might not be the devil. That might be the clock. It might be time. So C.S. Lewis said the two major errors one can make is one, not believing in the devil, and two, believing the devil does everything. You have to be careful here. And remember that fear is never an option. Many of us have heard that God is all-powerful and he can do anything, and yet does, the Bible itself says no. It says he cannot do anything outside his will. He cannot lie. 
He cannot tempt us. Do you remember this? Others, well, for example, God is righteous. He can't do evil. And he can't support us when we do evil. We've heard something like this, have you not? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. You heard that? And it's very comforting, and it is somewhat true, but it doesn't tell the whole story. What is the future? Has it been determined ahead of time? Has God decided everything about the future? That's what most of us have been taught, haven't we? But have you ever looked at the ramifications of this? That, I, there were undoubtedly shootings in Nashville last, last night, because there always are. Did God plan that? Uh, the 11-year-old that was shot by a drive-by, uh, what, week, two weeks ago? Um, was that part of God's wonderful plan? Or was that a sign that we're not alone in the universe? That there's also evil in the universe? Does God know what you're going to wear next Tuesday? Is that locked down, written in stone? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he particularly cares what you wear next Tuesday. But God knows all things. We're going to talk about what if the future is a thing or not. And that's going to be a little mind stretcher for some of you. But I've got to ask you, if you think everything's been predetermined, why do you pray? If everything in the future has already been nailed down, why bring it up? Dear Lord, I trust you've got it. That's not the way it was done in Scripture. They went to God and said, you seem to be going this way, I need you over here. And do you remember Jesus said a very bizarre thing to his followers? He said, if a couple of you agree on earth, we'll agree with you. Wait, what? You'll change because of us? Did he not do that repeatedly in Scripture? Abraham bargained God down to ten people. I believe that God reveals to us a God who's willing to listen to us and change the course of human history and even the course of the sun across the sky because we prayed. If I did not, if I believed that the future was a set thing, I would have zero hope because what's the point? If you don't understand how deadly this has been, there is a reason why in Scotland today less than 5% of the population attend church services regularly. Why? Because John Knox brought Calvinism there. And I don't know how many people I've talked to in Scotland through the years that have said some variation of predestination is already determined. If I'm going, I'm going, and if I'm not, I'm not. There's nothing I can do about it. And they gave up on it. And then those that didn't give up on it gave up on God because they believed in predestination and they said, as one lady told me recently, I have too much respect for God to believe in the one you've got. She didn't believe the one in the Bible. She's a deist. She just believes there's a force out there. But that force doesn't care about us. She said, I respect that force, but the one in the Bible says he cares for us and look at us. How are you going to deal with that? There's a word for this problem, the problem of God and the existence of evil. It's theodicy. T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. Theodicy. And we've been arguing about this since before the time of Jesus. 
There were Greek philosophers that felt like they had proved there was no God by using that argument before the time of Jesus. So how are we going to deal? I believe that much of the condition of the world and our hearts can be explained away by an immense cosmic war. There are angels that cooperate with God's will, but there are also incredibly powerful beings. We usually call them demons, but they're also angels who resist the will of God, who live... Who, who live to throw sand into the mechanisms of our plans and our heart. They cause wars, they hold churches back, they destroy marriages, they encourage division, they bring storms. Yes, very often in Scripture, demons are in charge of what happens in the weather. Physic- in fact, twice Jesus was almost killed in a boat going over to confront a demon. Isn't that interesting? And whenever he stopped the storm, he didn't say, storm, I I wish it wouldn't rain anymore. He spoke as if addressing a person, stop. He knew what was going on. I believe that a lot of physical and metaphysical storms are caused because we're at a war zone. I I don't know if I've told this story or not. Um, Real quick, first came back to America, 86, I think, Um, and we lived in Ohio, and Ohio Valley College at that time in West Virginia was doing a lectureship, and I thought, well, I'll go over. So I went over, um, enjoyed it, but uh, I didn't have, I ran out of paper. Back then, kids, we didn't have cell phones, iPads, and the like. So uh, I drove by, and the thing said, people's news. I went, I can get a notepad in there, and plus a newspaper. And so I popped in, Looking down, grabbed a notebook, and there was a newspaper, then looked up, and it was all pornography. Everything. And so I looked around this way, and it was all pornography. I wasn't in the right place. <laughs> now, my first thought was not, well, this is evil and awful. My first thought was, the front of this thing is glass, and every elder in a three-state area is driving by <laughs> and is going to see me in here. So, you know, I start, you know, and start doing the desert crawl. Um, no, I don't. I just put everything back and walk out. And I told that story to a couple of people, and they said, oh, doesn't that make you so angry? And I had to stop for a while, and I said, no, I, I didn't think to get angry because I wasn't surprised. I was surprised that it was that kind of store, but I wasn't surprised that things like that exist. This is a world at war. We're sitting on top of a core of stuff burning, hurtling through space. How safe can we be? Our title for this class is God at War, but it might more properly be called God, the Universe, and Everything. And yes, I stole that from Douglas Adams. I want us to be able to see what the Bible says about warfare, prayer, our future, our ability to negotiate with God or change his mind. And I want us to get skills in reading the tapestry in front of us. Now, do you know what I mean when I say tapestry? Big, old, um, it was art done with needle and thread. And you go in like the Bayou ta- uh, Tapestry, uh, and I've seen that several times. It's, it's in a castle that I've visited several times. And it tells the whole story of, a, of the war uh, from one end to the other, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's how hard to take them to do that. But if you ever look at the back of it, it's a mess. Now, some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You've done some forms of needlepoint 
that, uh, and I don't know all the names, cross-stitching and like, and you look at the front of it, it's beautiful. Look at the back of it, it's a mess. We're looking at the other side of the tapestry right now. We see a mess. God's weaving something, and we don't see the story. Another illustration. My mother likes to do, or she did uh, for many years, like uh, to do those 1,000-piece uh, puzzle things. And that was just always something she enjoyed. And sometimes she'd get stuck. And you puzzle people know you can get stuck. And so she would walk away from it for a while, then come back to it. And sometimes she would see the piece she needed. If that doesn't work, she'd walk away from it for a while, then come back into the room across from the way and get up on a folding chair and look down at it. And a different perspective, she saw her piece. Doesn't work for me. Always worked for her. God is looking at this from a different direction than we are. We have a dimensional curtain that blocks the real world from our world. We don't see the real world. C.S. Lewis once again said, we are not physical beings who come here for a spiritual moment. We are spiritual beings having a physical moment. The real world is the spiritual world. In all of your existence, your time on earth is going to be a very tiny percentage of that. Your real world is a spiritual world. Why is it, let me ask, when Jesus prayed that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that prayer has not yet been answered? Why is it that when he prayed for unity among his people, that that has not yet been answered? Have you ever sat and thought about it? I've had people say, well, it's because we refuse to follow. No, wait a minute. That means that you have the ability to choose what happens in the future, your future, by going with him or not. That would indicate there's not a future. There are trillions of possible futures. We'll get into de depth on that, by the way. Just to, as an aside, of all the scientific disciplines, the one that has more believers and more people becoming believers than all the others? Quantum physics. Because the odder the world looks, the more the Bible makes sense. And quantum physics will tell you there is no future. There are quadrillions of futures. And every decision we make impacts which road the future turns on. Interesting that Jesus did not say, you will walk the road I laid out ahead of you till the end of the age. He said, I'll be with you through all the twists and the turns. I'll be there. Why hasn't Jesus' prayer been answered? And frankly, because we're not alone. Many of our daily decisions, though not all of them, encourage one side or the other of this war. I don't think that when I put on a black shirt this morning, that one side of the team evil or good, yelled, yay, we're winning. That's a neutral. There's a lot of neutral. Where are we going to go eat? Remember Jesus said, these are not important questions, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. God in heaven's not going, oh no, they went for the glazed donut. <laughs> and God in his great plan did not say, he will, he will prefer the old-fashioned donut. No, no. We're born into a world at war. We arrive already broken. 
we arrive already pre-wired to do wrong. There is evil here, and the future has not yet been written. God is ready to work with us on the future. Our prayers matter because our prayers can change history. If I did not believe that, I would quit. Because what's the point? I pray even when Jesus delays and somebody dies because I believe in the impossible. We can be casualties of history as we change it. If we pray, for example, that God bring, bring America, let's say, back to to your, back into your, oh, your camp. Let's pretend it was there. <laughs> Bring it back into your camp uh, and, and let us be a nation under God again. What if it requires a war to bring us there? You might be a casualty of that war. Guys coming through the doors and the bayonets might be because God's answering your prayer. Are you willing to believe in what you cannot see? Are you willing to believe that death does not end the story? Why is there evil? Why do we pray? Why, what about unanswered prayer? That's what we're going to talk about. There is a, in the last seven minutes I've got here, I'm going to check that, yeah, it's about the same up there. Um, there is a brutal story that Gregory Boyd uses to illustrate. And we, I told you this as a grown-up, room. The Nazis were holding a banquet, celebrating. They, they were Nazis. They were Gestapo that were holding the banquet. The Jewish girls that they had stolen and forced into slavery were forced to serve them. The Nazis were celebrating and laughing. One of the Jewish serving girls had a beautiful little girl, just just basically a past toddler stage named Zosia. Zosia had beautiful eyes, and one of the Germans saw her and pulled her up on his lap and remarked about how beautiful these eyes are. What beautiful eyes these are. And then he said, eyes like this, I need those eyes. And he scooped them out with a spoon. Little Zosia screams, cannot be even imagined. Her mother went insane with grief and pain. And then Boyd asked, was that part of God's wonderful plan? Or is that a sign that evil is in the universe that we have to fight? And that sometimes evil wins around. So many people question whether evil even exists. And the fact is, we know it does. In my office was a young man named Hank. He was a member of our church there in Rochester. He was in the first wave of the war, National Guardsman. One of the jobs, National Guardsmen aren't always on the top rung when it gets to equipment or jobs. And one of his jobs was to go in and clean the human spackle off the walls in the torture chambers of Saddam Hussein. It's amazing how much we've already forgotten that. And people say, you know, we would have been better off leaving him in place. I'm going, you might want to talk to Hank. He had to go scrape that off the walls 
so that they could use that building. Evil is, by the way, the human spackle is because they were being, people were being fed into a wood chipper. When we talk about evil in this class, I want you to remember Zosia. Evil smells like burning children. Evil sounds like Zosia's mother and the men that laughed while it all went on. We wonder how packs of men can fall so low as to thinking that mutilating and later killing Zosia was fun or that today children are being crucified in Syria and Iraq because they're either Christian or they're a different religion or they're the wrong kind of Muslim. One woman got a message out to her family. She had been sold 22 times as a sexual slave in a period of less than six months. When the men grew tired of her, they threw her away and she would be resold. She's probably dead now. We wonder how that can happen. We wonder how women can dispose of their babies in a dumpster in her own town. We wonder how a man can even think of putting people feet first in a wood chipper, and it makes us wonder about God. If it doesn't, I don't think you're being honest. It makes us wonder, if God is all-powerful, why do things like this exist? And for those that say that everything has a purpose, I have to ask you, what was the purpose of mutilating Zosia? I don't see it. If God is all-loving and perfectly good, and I believe that, by the way, I do then he must want to protect Zosia. If God is in control of everything in the universe, and that, I wonder, he would be able to protect her, and yet he doesn't. And Zosia experiences the most horrible ordeal that we could imagine and is then murdered, and that makes no sense. And that is the problem of evil. And that's what we're going to talk about here on this summer. So some of you may be fleeing to the other classes, and that's all right. That's fine. I can remember my wife and I were traveling through Scotland doing some work. And I stopped at a shop. I'd run out of things to read. And there was a book by a guy I'd never heard of, Philip Yancey, an American. But it might be good. And it was Disappointment with God. And that was about where I was at that stage. So I got it. I didn't sleep that night. Read straight through. And Cammie, who's always been a person of faith, looked at me and said, you normally don't go for the books about why God's still really okay. Why are you still reading that one? And I said, because for the first time, I found somebody who's not making excuses for God, but is calling it like it is, putting it all on the table and not blinking. And Philip Yancey did that, by the way. He wrote Disappointment with God and Where is God When It Hurts? They're really companion books and they're brilliant. But because of that, now after the Newtown shootings, the people of Newtown ask him to come and stand before the parents and do the funeral and explain why my child died. I remember reading an article. He was, he's from Colorado Springs where we lived before moving here. An article he wrote about, I'm going to have to go out. I want you to know what I'm going to say. He didn't write it to me. He, it, was a, it was an open letter to Colorado Springs. And it was amazing. And we're going to talk about stuff like that. 
But I will give you one, one answer. But there are many, many other answers, but I'll give you one answer, and this is in a story. We get this story because of a diary that a, a Swedish nurse, I'm sorry, an Austrian nurse left behind. There was a horrific train wreck right outside of Vienna, a derailment, a lot of people died, a lot of people were dying and mutilated. She was on the train, and she was running about trying to give first aid as best she could when she saw a man in a tuxedo that was all disheveled. He had cuts and bruises, and he was tears just streaming down his cheek. Everybody's crying, so she didn't take note of that. But the tuxedo and such, she assumed he was a, a, a musician because that's what Vienna is all about. And as he was stumbling past her, he heard her, him kept crying, where are my instruments? Where are my instruments? And she assumed he had valuable violin, cello, something that had gone, and you, know, you can't replace a Stradivarius or something. It's not going to happen. Later, she would see his picture in the paper and realize who he was. He was the greatest surgeon in all of Austria. And he was watching people die, and he's saying, where are my instruments? first came to America, we lived in a place just outside Columbus, Ohio. At that time, there was no internet, at least not for common folk. I don't know if DARPA had set up something at that stage or not for the military, but we had nothing. Therefore, if you wanted pornography, you had to go to a porn shop. And there were porn shops in the town, just a couple. But I remember at one preacher's meeting, one of the preachers said, we need to go put a sign in the front lawn of that and I was thinking, oh, no, not another one of these protest things, because I'm, I'm not a real big fan of protesting. I'm against protesting. I just don't know how to protest it. Um, and his, it wasn't that. It said, open by permission of the local churches. He says, because it's here, because we don't fight it. We don't train our, our men. We don't teach our people the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage and sanctity of sexual behavior. We don't, we don't stop it. Therefore, it's here because we've allowed it. A great deal of the evil on this planet is here because we like it. Or we like it when our people do it. Or we like it because it's the sin we like. Where are his instruments? Lord, make us instruments of his peace. So, are you ready for this ride? Two of you will be here next week. Great. <laughs> well, the rest of you will get a stern look. God bless you. Pray, because it does change things. We'll see you next Sunday. Cheers. Cheers.